Ooh, I'm a little nervous, guys. I know. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I'm less. I'm less nervous because of this other stuff, but it's more nerve wracking because I'm a lot looser on that. So, oh my god. But we're gonna be great, Gabby, and Brendan is always great. That's right. Ooh, no pressure. Okay. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true though. Carrying the podcast like like a like a dog with a like a, a sled in my teeth or something like that. <laughs> You're our fearless leader. Everyone to the Roycast, the Internet's original Succession podcast. My name is Brendan. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts Kate. Hello. And Gabby. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. It is great to be back here on this Thursday, uh, the pre-end, if you will, uh, with <laughs> my good pals, with the Fly Guys, uh, the Fly folks, and uh, we're here back to talk once again. We've got about a month to go. It sounds like before. Season three of Succession will be in our eyeballs, on our HBO Max apps, what have you. And we're here uh, just to clear the cobwebs out of the old, I think, Roycast offices and uh, talk a little bit about what we can expect, what we're looking forward to, and uh, some of what's been going on with our favorite show. I think um, it's been about two years, I guess, uh, minus about a month since we last got together to talk about a new episode of Succession. And I think the less said about the intervening two years, probably the better. Um, we <laughs> yeah we did make uh, real efforts to get together and uh, to record some other material that uh, unfortunately did not end up in releasable condition, and I will take uh, the blame for that. Uh, but we are uh, dedicated to putting out the high quality DIY spit and elbow grease uh, TV podcast. Uh, that our listeners uh, have been uh, so deprived of in the last couple of years. Yeah, sorry guys. I I know we really intended to do the mailbag, and um, you know I I'm sure everyone understands pandemic and and whatnot. It was you know not the easiest of times. Um, but we you know we really wanted to get you all of that, and um, we'll, we'll cover a little bit of it today. But thanks for for sticking it out um we know everyone has missed succession so much and now we're at the finish line almost there and um we will be back right there with y'all so thank you and and yeah thank you guys so much um covid was hard 
not hearing from us was uh, even harder, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but we're going to get through it. We're getting through it right now. Yeah, succession is on its way, baby. And there's a lot of exciting things to talk about from some rumors to um, some actual known facts about the new season and, and yeah. a great article in the New Yorker. Um, but some th- great things did happen uh, during this time. Um, we have a new fly guy in our family. That's um, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, we uh, have a, a little baby fly guy last year, uh, November, around election time. I had my first child, um, named him Oedipus Roy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it was it was hard to, to to not pick a name associated with succession. I mean, just really really tough, you know, near divorce for me and my husband. Uh, no, but um, yeah, so that was another thing that was uh, tough on top of last year in terms of getting together for a recording. But you know, if you hear a uh, baby cry, hopefully you won't. Um, don't be alarmed. That's just. Uh, my, my little fly guy upstairs. So, um, yeah, thanks everyone who, who was really kind about that and sent their support. Um, appreciate it. Well, when we Leo uh, grows up and goes to his uh, uh, hoity-toity prep school in Manhattan and is surrounded by uh, a generation of uh, little kids named Kendall and Roman, uh, he's going to feel pretty foolish, I bet. So. He was born on the Upper East Side. I mean, you know... I don't know. Yeah, I think it's pretty set in stone as of now, man. Um, Despite not being named after the Roys, uh, he will know quite a bit about them. Congratulations, (laughs) Gabby. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. (laughs) We're very excited for you. It was um, one of the better moments uh, of, of, of. COVID yeah, Kate and... got to to visit and and meet him also uh, in our vaccinated era, so that was wonderful. Um, and yeah, hopefully at some point all three of us will be in the same room together. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you know, but not all of you, that we don't record from the same city. We actually record from three different time zones. So um, you know, it's uh, we've we all met each other, but well. I've never met Brendan. Brendan and Kate have not met in real life. I've met both of them in real life. And, um, you know, the the chemistry in person is just dynamite. So just wait for that day <laughs> that we have <laughs> that in-person well, pod for you just, guys. Just right. wait until there is no chemistry between me and Brendan. And we both uh, kind of like awkwardly, you Just know, peter out. Uh, are like, hey, uh, yeah, great meeting. Okay, ciao, bye. That kind of tension, I think, I often find uh, makes for some of the best podcast episodes. Uh, so I, th- I think if nothing else, we'll get some content out of it. Yeah, we're, we're off to a great start. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I, uh, we wanted to, I think, uh, talk a little bit about Succession from the vantage of, you know, two years removed from the last time we got together to talk about the show. And, you know, we recorded the the first two seasons, as it were, of the Roy cast, um, and starting in the uh, sort of the summer leading up to season two, and then live during season two, of course. So really looking back on it, it was kind of this 
you know, five or six month period where we were just, you know, talking about the show all the time and it was in our heads all the time. And, you know, we started doing this because, uh, you know, we had a couple of goals and we wanted to encourage more people to watch the show uh, because we felt like not many people were. We considered it obviously be very well made and we felt a real strong connection to it. Like, this is one of the best things on TV. We find all this personal meaning in it. You know, it's funny as hell. Uh, But we also wanted to, you know, analyze the series from a particular point of view. And we wanted to do that while holding on to our enthusiasm for it. Um, We'll also, you know, you know, seeking out and finding some, you know, great, uh, you know, critics and interesting people to come on and uh, talk to us and, you know, strengthen and uh, inform our critical perspectives about the show. And I think, you know, over the course of that, that first season uh, of the Roy cast or over the course of the episodes that we recorded, you can hear us kind of reacting to uh, what's happening, which is that the show that we started out thinking was under discussed is becoming, you know, very much discussed and perhaps over discussed. Um, I think now you might say that succession, you know, coming up on its third season is covered probably wildly out of proportion to the, uh, the actual viewership, you know, it's actually, I think the, I think the ratings are actually lower than something like HBO's The Leftovers, uh, but the coverage it gets is like it's, you know, Game of Thrones or Walking Dead, like it's watched by tens of millions of people instead of maybe a, a million and change. Um, there's, you know, a community of fan accounts for the show. There's, you know, memes and, uh, you know, news coverage on the internet all the time, which definitely makes things a lot easier for us, easier for us to research and prepare the show with uh, so many people are, you know, going out and doing the legwork and um, keeping up on what's going on. Uh, There's also, uh, shockingly, other podcasts, people who were not intimidated into silence by the quality um, of our dialogue, um, including an official HBO-produced and sanctioned uh, succession podcast. Uh, There's also an official Twitter account for the series at long last, um, which is uh, amazingly uh, not the uh, No Context Royco account that everybody seems to think is the official account for the show, and not just the the labor of love of uh, of our, our... yeah, our wonderful friend Anna, who runs that. Um, so basically, uh, to make a long story short, we I don't think that we uh, uh, any longer feel a need to raise awareness of succession. I think uh, for as far as its audience goes and as far as our reach goes, the, the awareness is there. Um, but the sort of, I think the dynamics in um, sort of media journalism and, you know, TV coverage uh, that inspired us to start the show in the first place to sort of fill that gap. Um, I think that is still there. I mean, there's definitely, you know, with a show like Succession becoming like sort of, you know, a reliable generator of, you know, clicks and readership and stuff, you know, more people definitely are having the opportunity to uh, write about it. Um, but there's still not anything, I think, like the sort of critical economy that we would hope would be there uh, to really dig into this show that we think is so fascinating and so well done uh, to the degree uh, that it deserves to. Um, and so we're hoping that this is where this, uh, our podcast continues to maybe make a, a meaningful contribution to uh, the volume of, of discourse uh, about this show. So we're not just adding to the noise, um, but we think that we can continue to, and we, and we plan to continue to provide, you know, just interesting and worthwhile critical analysis of uh, this show that we think uh, can uh, can stand up to it and deserves it. That, in brief, <laughs> in relatively brief, is uh, sort of where our thinking's at and how we're approaching this new season. We want to, I think, uh, pull back 
a bit um, from the meta discourse, from reviewing the reviews of the show, from reviewing the coverage of the show, um, from the reception studies angle, um, to uh, log off a bit to not cover uh, the discourse uh, on Twitter and online about the show, um, because that you know tends to you know unsurprisingly distract uh, from the actual content, from the actual text, um, and we want to just burrow further uh, into the show. We watch together and talk together about the uh, awards uh, sort of coverage that the show got and the awards that the show won. There was this long period where, uh, you know, one of the things I think that really cemented, you know, the feeling that this was no longer an underdog show, certainly, uh, was when Succession started racking up all these big wins at award shows at the, the Emmys and the Golden Globes and such. And um, so I, I wanted to go ahead and, and, and open this up to, to Gabby to talk about this. I know we've already talked about this some, uh, but that experience of uh, watching uh, this show suddenly receive this sort of like industry seal of approval, does it sort of feel like to us this is um, something that the industry has kind of stepped forward to say, yes, this is this show is in fact the best thing that we can do and we're going to put our name on it. Right. Like even from, from the first Emmys that Succession was present at with with season one there was like four of them and they were in the back um and jesse armstrong won that year i believe they won maybe one or two other um more minor emmys but then of course the the emmy award show for season two which was unfortunately via zoom um was like the big succession emmys and and even just the the way the show grew from you know those two um, award ceremonies, like just bearing witness to it has been um, an incredibly wild experience. And, and when you get into a popular show or artist early, you kind of instinctively want to stake this claim over it while also getting everyone you know to like it too, um, which is a dynamic that kind of is turned up to extreme levels um, with succession. And I know we all have our own layered feelings about the show's popularity um, but ultimately, it's, I mean, it's such a good thing. And I did have faith that the show would get popular enough not to be canceled, right? Like, we knew it was going to be getting more critical acclaim than it had been. Um, but I can't say I expected the show's profile to rise in, like, this gigantic, um, scaled-up way. It's, it's exciting. It's also a little daunting. Like, it puts some more pressure on us here, for sure. Um, knowing that, you know, we're going to have more downloads and, and be part of, you know, whatever conversation, um, is going on critically, but, um, yeah, I think we're up for it. And uh, I don't know, I can remember like a few shows that I've watched from the beginning and had sort of a similar experience with shows that eventually garnered like a lot of critical acclaim and these big fan bases. Uh, Mad Men for me is probably the first one that comes to mind. I, I watched Mad Men um, pretty much from the first season. And yeah, I remember for Halloween in like 2009 or 10, I dressed up as Joan and only like a few people could figure out who I was. And then I did it again two years later. <laughs> and it was like completely obvious to everyone. And so it's felt a little like that in the way that Succession has become kind of a, a household name. Um, but, you know, with Succession, we invested all this time and energy in being a fan. Uh, media is not my field or Brendan or Kate's field, really. Um, I've never done any formal criticism of a show or, or art. And now there's like this literal record of many hours of me talking about this show. So the stakes were a little different. But um, 
I think our takes have held up really, really well. Um, I know you guys agree. We talk about it sometimes every once in a while, just check in with each other. Um, I really do feel validated um, when we read or listen to people who are part of the show talk about the show. And and that's something that's just been really rewarding in and of itself, you know, aside from the smug satisfaction we get of knowing that we are right about it all. (laughs) But no, like to to, to track the show's popular rise from like the early days of being like, oh, my God, please watch this and and just like desperately tweeting about it and trying to, to get people to get into it and fielding all those questions about, well, you know, I don't feel any sympathy for these characters, so I don't want to watch this. Um, And now, you know all these awards, all this chatter. It's been very cool. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, it's thrilling to see, like, the whole team get recognition. Um, I've been trying to keep up with, you know, as much of what the cast is doing. There's definitely been a lot to watch over the past couple of years. Um, you know, Zola, Chicago 7, so much more. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm so happy for all of them. Um, I'm really happy for Brian Cox. He's been such a hard worker in the industry for so many decades. Um, You really love to see it. And he's now getting like corporate McDonald's money with those voiceovers. Um, What's what's the one thing better than a Golden Globe Award is a a McDonald's campaign that's tied to your voice and personality. Um, I think that's the, the, the highest seal of approval that the industry can award. I mean, I'm starting to have serious doubts now. What? I'm just kidding about the Cox anecdote. Get that bread, baby. Get yeah. your bag. <laughs> I mean, he deserves it. Get that it. steamed fillet of fish bun. Yeah. Hey, whatever. Yeah. Man. So yeah, I mean, like I remember the days of us early on social media, you know, encouraging all these people to watch the show, and we ended up getting um, like thank yous and shout outs from you know some members of the cast and the crew, who obviously like appreciated that there were outspoken fans for this great under-discussed show. So I'm really happy for anyone who's gotten a career boost or work from it. Um, there really were like no stars to speak of involved. Um, you know, so they have a lot to be proud of. Um, you know, the unfortunate thing about this industry is that so much talent falls through the cracks, but um, like clearly the opposite has happened here um, in terms of this kind of succession <laughs> industrial complex. But something that's been really interesting and surprising for me to watch is Succession's popularity with younger people. You know, what I started to realize early on in, you know, sort of my, my social media sleuthing was that so much of the bedrock success, Succession fandom online is composed of um, younger people, Gen Z, and like yes. basically these, these digital natives who are really good at making GIFs and videos and edits. And um, they're just, you know, it's sort of you know, there's, you can identify these modes of speech that they use, and it's kind of all part of this broader fan uh, culture that exists, um, and is primarily driven by, by these younger generations, and at first, there was just, like, a few succession novelty fan accounts, and, you know, the earliest and biggest being No Context Royco, as you can see, really, with the, the acclaim received after season two, just the absolute glut of this kind of content, um, it's kind of astounding to see how much interest and attention these groups generate. And I do think that these people, that, uh, you know, these younger people really played a huge role um, in the show's rise in popularity. And I'm sure people would might disagree with me there, but just, um, you know, having seen it and the ways that they, they promote the show in sort of sometimes aggressive ways, uh, 
it it kind of worked. Team Kendall, like they got him that Emmy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not 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 a hundred percent, you know, but there's definitely something to be said for it. And and I like that the New Yorker article called Succession a word of mouth hit because that's really what it feels like, you know, just early Succession fan, just literally encouraging everyone we knew to watch the show. Um, and now I log on to our Instagram for this podcast and there's like 10 new fan accounts following us, you know, what did Jeremy Strong wear today or whatever. Um, it's impossible to keep up with. And it's definitely caused me to like spend some time thinking about why young people would be so into this show about, you know, middle-aged rich people. And of course the obvious answer is that it's just a good show and, and, you know, young people can have good taste too. But I think the show's kind of cult following circles back to what we've talked about from day one on this podcast um, and what we've really tried to emphasize, which is that the show is not really about what it seems like it's going to be about at first. It's a show about family and navigating you know, the complex and painful dynamics of family. And um, I know we're going to talk about this New Yorker article in a little bit, but uh, one part that stuck out to me because it's, you know, kind of a, a summary of what we've tried to drive home on this podcast from our very first recording. Um, and, you know, it sort of represents the lens through which we talk about it. Um, so there's this quote, succession is not driven by a voyeuristic fascination with the rich, or by a righteous desire to expose the perfidies of inequity, but by a wish to tell through the specific medium of a contemporary media dynasty a more universal story about power and family relations and to show how these forces can torque an individual's humanity. Once you sort of understand that vision of the show and, and can see it from that lens, um, you realize that you know a lot of the themes that are brought up are universal, and I think young people are kind of sorting out or confronting these issues of trauma and their own histories and their own families for the first time in their lives. You know, it's not just young people um, who are confronting these issues more honestly. I think kind of everyone is exploring uh, things from a psychodynamic lens more and more in our society. Um, and the show kind of resonates with people in a way that's uh, different than what they expect when they first start watching it. And, um, you know, succession is you know, kind of the result of obviously very talented people and good work, but also sort of this alchemy of conditions. Um, and I think it's important to keep kind of some of this stuff in mind about why the show, this uh, particular moment in our history uh, feels, you know, so, uh, so prominent and important. And it's definitely been hard at times, like the online chatter can get overwhelming and the discourse and whatnot, and you want to start gatekeeping the show. But I really don't think there could have been any better outcome for us as a group. Like Brendan said, our goal is to just have sort of these invigorating discussions. And I think we've done just that. Um, the fact that the show blew up is is just gravy. I mean, we get to have these wonderful conversations, so much material to work with. I've had such a great time um, getting close to Brendan and Kate and having these talks and the conversations with our, our guests have continued to blow me away. And I'm sure they will. Um, as we as we keep going in this upcoming season. And um, yeah, there's a reason we've spent so many hours talking about this show. We think it has <laughs> a lot to say and it's beautifully done. And now everyone else wants to talk about it too. So 
Well, I think that uh, quite apart from the, something, the thing that's you know novel about having such an engaged and passionate audience of what appears to be you know very young people on social media making memes about a show about middle-aged rich people uh, and their problems. Apart from what you know is kind of superficially novel about that, the thing that's interesting to me about it is just the kind of sustained interest. You know, as we've talked about, it's been two years since the show was on the air and. People are still watching it and talking about it, and they seem to be thinking about it like all the time. Um, and that's just something that is that is pretty unusual, um, I think. You know, again, I don't want to spend too much of the show, you know, analyzing online discourse. Um, but I mean, it really does feel like you know, there's it's it's very seldom for me that you get something new that people you know want to talk about for more than you know the weekend that it came out anymore you know the backlash right. cycle and the discourse cycle is so compressed now it kind of happens before the thing even comes out most of the time well a, a large degree of that not to be contrarian is like uh distance makes the heart grow fonder and there's also a community that's built mm -hmm. among these fans and they want that community back um, they want this show that they loved back. They had a bunch of things taken away from them and they want it back. You know, so I, it is interesting that they've, you know, um, glommed onto it for s still this length of time. But um, it, it didn't surprise me that much. Yeah, the kids are excited. I mean, you log on, there's new information being dropped and they just lose their shit. And it's 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 cool. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing to be a part of and to watch. Um yeah. yeah. For I mean, the record, thinking... since both of you are making me sound like a million years old, I don't turn 30 for another week, so I'm going to count myself <laughs> among the kids, at least for the duration of this recording. I'm fucking 40. It's fine. You can say it or have them cut it. But I, I spent, a, you know, I spent some time thinking about this question of watching Succession go from an underdog show to an awards juggernaut myself. You know, you guys know that I've been torn about the show back and forth over the past, you know, few years. Like, so many things in my life, especially over the last few years, it's been quite the ride. And one, I wanted to get off of a couple times in full honesty. Buckle up, fuckle chucks, indeed. Um, because when you love a show so much, you want to hear praise. You introduce it to your closest friends and hope they like it and get it. You want big ratings and you want lots of award nominations, but also wins. And you want to be big on your favorite site, Twitter. And so when the show was first breaking through bigly, maybe like at the end of season one or maybe even closer to early season two, uh, I was psyched. Like, not only did my weirdo friends like it, like you guys, but also... As the show was becoming the talk <laughs> of the town. And at this time, I lavished. I, like, loved seeing the posts and the new stand groups developing from these kids. <laughs> and welcome the newfound love and attention. I loved the fucking cringe memes. I loved it all. And then love did what love does, and it fades. <laughs> the thing you first purred at becomes something you act out against. And these new fans, not only did they probably not even get the show, they weren't early adopters, okay? How dare they? Seeing Succession on the timeline was now giving my brain chemicals, the same chemicals, but for very different reasons, right? Uh, love is a fickle thing. Oh, so you like Succession? Name four of your favorite quotes from Lifeboats, bitch. <laughs> um, 
mid-season two, I began to get incredibly turned off from the online memes and discourse altogether. I realize how stupid this is and embarrassing to admit because it is, but I was so oversaturated with succession. I started to get less into it and maybe even toy with contrarian takes in my brain. I know this is a child, the rebel in me, and it's very dumb. So I was thrilled to learn of the Emmy success and finally watch the acceptance speeches. Gabby, I know you mentioned you guys were all in, and I'm just going to admit that I didn't even watch it the first night. Um, it was but, a terrible show anyway. Yeah. Oh, the Emmys? Oh, awful. Yeah. Insufferable. W- worst thing I've yeah. ever seen in my life. So sad for Succession's first big Emmy. Is so sad. But yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, totally. But I, I like the convo. But Jeremy Strong beating Brian Cox in one of the strangest alpha cocked by beta son moments <laughs> I know of. Like, <laughs> I could not have been fucking happier Kendall knifes his dad in the finale and strong as life mirrors as life mirrors art fashion as in life mirrors art fashion strong armed cocks to victory by sinking into his role as a full complete cock. I mean, this doesn't happen. Look at politics. This is this was just like such an amazing moment. And as a strong fan, you know, I dug it, although we can talk about his clothing and some other stuff. Um, that's not really a critical eye, so perhaps not. But uh, all that is just to say I'm back, guys. Fully back. She's back I'm excited. Baby. I'm back, baby. I'm excited for the show returning. I'm excited for Roycast. I'm excited to welcome new and old fly guys alike. Come on in. We're water's warm. And Succession will always be, like, literally one of the best TV shows in my lifetime, and I'm glad it's getting the recognition it deserves. Mostly from me, Gabby, and Brendan, the original <laughs> Potters, uh, and um, original Fly Guys, and also we had the first Succession pod. So, but I'm hearing a, uh, I'm hearing a, a peace offering in this to the meme lords. They're welcome aboard, too. The meme lords are welcome aboard, man. Just, um, fucking, like... Let's up the I, I think some of the meme lords might argue with you that they weren't there from the start, but that's, you know, for another time and place. Oh, and that's fine. That's what I'm saying. They're welcome <laughs> aboard. We love them. Uh, you know, the more the merrier. I know that we were next going to talk a little bit about season one and season two and which is better and doesn't matter or whatever. And I uh, wanted to keep this brief as well. You know, a lot of people don't know, um, because of this gap, uh, that I developed this season one is better than season two take. I really thought about, has the two year gap given me any more thoughts on that take? And, um, I think if anything, actually the time to reflect has clarified my understanding of that take, which was a gut instinct. In some ways, maybe the time also helped solidify it a little more, but more importantly, it gave me a chance, the time away gave me a chance to assess why I felt the way I did in a more honest and, and, um, holistic way. Okay. As I previously mentioned, I needed some time away from the show because the succession online darling whirlwind was mostly bothering me in mid to late second season. 
This is the perfect confluence of events for my contrarianism to take hold. And I loved the second season. Like, okay, uh, Safe Room, uh, Turnhaven, the finale, and our justies are insane. But I did notice I didn't love it in the same way that I love season one, which is normal. As Fiona says in one of her songs, it's absurd to compare loves because they're all their own thing. And so it's like pointless. Like I can love season one and season two differently and that's okay. I don't need to pit them against each other. But my lizard room temperature IQ brain went there. The season one is better than season two take was born. I should specify this is exclusive to season one eps five through ten. Although episode three lifeboats deserves a shout out as well. Now I realize this take was a preference, not an objective fact. Uh, I could appreciate the season two blow up, but it felt overly slick and overly produced to my taste, especially when considering it in contrast to season one's latter half, which felt the opposite of season two in many ways, uh, not forced, not contrived, um, naturalistic. Uh, and that's what I go on to say is the latter half of season one was so naturalistic and organic. Every move or conflict or conflict resolution felt completely as if it was the only way it could happen and conclude and move forward. It just had this like momentum of the pacing was just stellar as well. And I felt like in season two, they put a few conflict plot lines on a wall and felt like they needed to use them, even if it didn't make sense in the natural order of the world. Or it did make sense in the natural order of the world, but they crammed too many plot lines in there. It felt forced. And like I said, I could never use that as a descriptor for season one. So I already stated the episodes I loved of season two. They're amazing. But each episode was a different beast also, unlike in season one. Different, a lot more different directors with a lot more different skill sets. And so they were good, but it felt like a mashup or a mishmash to me. It didn't have like a consistency, especially an emotional consistency. To answer the question, Brendan, uh, when, when making notes, asked, has my uh, take changed? And... It mostly hasn't. I stand by it mostly with time um, and further questioning. I also realized that me being oversaturated with succession played a role in my take as well as like in season one. That was when I first learned these characters and fell in love with them. That can't be replicated in any other season. Yeah, right. it's like this this first love dynamic with season one, especially the back half and the way that it flowed, like you said just so naturalistic organic and and i don't feel like for me that was replicated in any five episodes stretch in season two although i'm i'm not necessarily as down on season two as, as you were at the time um, yeah at the time i, I yeah. am up on it i want to clarify <laughs> but there is only one first time like you only have sex right. partner your first time once and that was in that yeah, I think my wires got crossed a little bit with the critical coverage of season two. I know it did for a bunch of us who yes. felt like we were watching it from the beginning where 
it felt like maybe there was like this pandering going on to yes. to you know super online or media types but upon rewatch and some removal from the show i realized like the show actually it really doesn't pander at all like especially when you put it up against some other shows that have come out um about recent themes um you can see those shows pulling directly from twitter but you watch succession and and not really most of the most of the references are still you know, esoteric and written by by theater nerds. Um, so I, I, you know, I kind of feel like it was um, a little bit difficult, maybe, to take in season two as there was so much chatter going on around it. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll find a better method for watching season three. Maybe that is just to to log off. <laughs> absolutely. And, and, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's what I learned. Um, in this other pod, I may be doing was that. Uh, the goal is to get offline um with all of this but um but brendan i don't want to like be a dead horse i just remember you having shifting opinions about maybe start maybe realizing or not realizing season one was better but understanding a little bit better um i don't know if anything you could say now could add to that conversation or if it would just be like you know, so am I, am I the dead horse that's being beaten in this analogy? No, because <laughs> listen, you changed your mind. No, I mean you said you, I know, I know I, the uh, analogy you're talking about. I'm ignoring it. I'm moving on. No, I'm teasing. I'm, I'm teasing. Of course, you. I, I think you phrased a lot of things. You phrased this critique of yours really well. I think about the way that um, you know the momentum was so felt in season one versus uh, the structure of season two, which maybe didn't have that same sort of drive going through episodes six through ten as season one did. There's, yeah, I think there's a lot I could say in response to that. But I think, yeah, I think that would just underline. I think that uh, what you stated about the sort of conflicting emotions you feel and the difficulty of trying to get some distance from the discourse around the show to be able to see the thing for itself i think just kind of underscores the value of what i set up top which is that we're going to try to to log off a little bit this year because it really does have an impact i think um on how you on how you look at art um, when you're when you're trying to judge the thing itself and trying to dig into a little bit of what the creators and the collaborators are thinking about and not necessarily what everybody else is thinking about it. Um, and to that end, uh, we saw a really good piece, as we've already alluded to a couple of times in this episode, in The New Yorker uh, a couple of weeks ago um, by the writer Rebecca Mead, who profiled Jesse Armstrong, the, I think, celebrity or creative profile being typically among the lower forms, I would say, of journalism. Um, but uh, this is a really good, um, I think, piece about the show that... Um, is an example of how the coverage by the show can benefit uh, from the increased volume and the brighter spotlight um, that's been placed on it uh, by the industry um, because uh, you get the opportunity for um, a really long considered piece where Rebecca Mead has gotten Jesse Armstrong to talk about some things about the show and to say some things that he hasn't said before to get some, you know, not just recycling the same quotes, but actually asking him to talk about the show from some really interesting angles. Um, so I enjoyed this piece a lot. I really, um, I think we all did, and I really encourage anybody who hasn't read it, um, who is interested in the show to go check it out. Their sp spoilers are fairly 
you know, minimal. Um, you know, we still don't know very much about the new season. Um, I think it is mostly interesting and illuminating in the way that it talks about how Armstrong runs his writer's room, you know, the life experiences um, that have shaped his work. Um, but he also talks um, in really interesting ways about um, kind of building the characters and his historical and, you know, specifically like Marxist perspective um, on uh, on the show. Um, I will say, you know, I thought it was terrific. I mean, Jeremy Strong is absolutely the type of actor you're going to get that's going to ask, uh, you know, for more background on his character, more and more and more. I'm sure there's never enough for him, um, you know, much like a, a coke fiend that he Right, there was this, be. yeah, this joke in the, that Zoom variety. Yes! Exactly. Um, thing that they did which kind of like sustained us throughout the cold days of the pandemic <laughs> um it was this oh, great right. interview yeah. that the cast did and and um just like a lot of great little tidbits in there and they talk about how um you know jesse's process is sort of dynamic and evolving in the characters he's not totally sure where they're going to end up at, at an end of the season start when he when he starts a season um and that it sort of just um unfolds organically and, and most of the actors are are down with that and really like that style but of course like jeremy strong needs to like <laughs> go and and review and uh have you know all these extra meetings with jesse and they were kind of poking fun at him about it and it was just very cute um to see because you know it's exactly on the nose and what you would expect what was the book he quoted in this article Oh, oh my god. Well, he talks about he talks about he talks about Flaubert, right? He has he has yes, he, has a, okay. he has a quote from Flaubert here where yeah. he's he says that uh He's, he's quoting from Flaubert, Jeremy Strong, as he says, uh, Flaubert said that I want to live the quiet, ordered life of the bourgeoisie so that I can be violent and original in my work. And he oh, says, that's uh, Jesse Armstrong. Uh, yeah, so there, there are a number of uh, really good quotes in, in, in here. And uh, there's a bit uh, that I really liked, um, you know, partly because it confirmed kind of the, uh, a little bit uh, some of the way that I often think about the show. Um, there's a passage where Armstrong is quoted as saying... Without getting too highfalutin, there's that quote from Marx in the 18th Brumaire of Louis Bonaparte, where he says, men and women make their own history, but not the circumstances of their own making. Meade goes on to clarify the original text is less taught. Men make their own history, but they do not make it as they please. They do not make it under self-selected circumstances, but under circumstances existing already, given and transmitted from the past. And I, I think that is a really illustrative quote about how... Uh, you know, the show thinks about history, which is, um, you know, I guess to reach for another kind of highfalutin quote, uh, that Walter Benjamin essay about uh, on the concept of history, where he says that, you know, the historian reaches for a moment that flashes up out of the past, right? And that's what uh, succession kind of does is it, you know, it doesn't really show the way that things are new and different now in the modern era it shows kind of how they're the same as as they have been before um right. and it and it shows those moments flashing up out of the past um and this i think what 
this quote from Marx kind of gets at a little bit um, is just this sort of deterministic view of human nature and how people are, are shaped by their circumstances. And it isn't so much that free will doesn't exist because stories might not be interesting if that were the case, um, but that choices are kind of constrained by the times uh, and material realities that, that people live in, um, which is a really fascinating thing to think about succession as it sort of comes up on season three, which is very much setting up this conflict that can could have you know vast kind of like business world power global implications and the question of kind of like how historical change happens um how power mm -hmm. passes from you know one set of hands to another um i think is is, is very interesting uh, uh, to know that armstrong is thinking about this it, it was fascinating to hear uh you know armstrong reference that um but i really liked the way that mead uh, you know, and I, I get a lot of hate for being a misogynist. Um, so I just want to say, uh, that she was right. Um, and her, uh, expounding upon it made, you know, I mean, it just, it just include a lot of other, um, limiting, uh, factors such as psychoanalytical type stuff, etc. But, uh, but yeah, it all comes down to the history you live in and, um, the material conditions with which you exist and you know that's generational that's applied on on all these different levels um i did read most of marx's capital during quarantine so um brendan humble brag you still you still can talk a lot about it a lot better i didn't finish but um I think I've read I've, I have read like almost none of Capital. I'm pretty sure I'm not. A, <laughs> I, we'll, we'll try to get an actual Marxist critic on this show to talk about this stuff instead of just me pretending to be familiar with it. I would love to do that. Yeah, I yeah. think Jesse's observations about Americans and wealth um, in his uh, history of um, kind of working in politics and um, they gave some more insight into that in this article. Um, you know, he's a very disciplined reader. Um, he is informed by a modest upbringing and, um, you know, his time working at his time at the University of Manchester, where he actually did American studies. So um, he also worked for an MP, a parliament member, um, assistant in Westminster. And he, he always uh, apparently was less interested kind of in this uh, glossy world and more interested in sort of the, the side conversations that he would hear and making observations there. So I think, um, you know, that, uh, you know, is definitely obvious in succession that he's um, telling a story about the way the world is rather than how we want it to be. And uh, he says, for people who come from powerful families, there is nothing in life quite as interesting as being at court. Um, you know, so for me, a lot of the mm, art and work of I the show that. is that the, the territory between what's history in the broadest sense, what's family history, what's tradition, and what's the room for one's own choices and your own making of your life and your world. And there's a gap there, which that mysterious thing about human personality fills. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, Jesse spent some time in the U.S. also, um, which helped him kind of bridge this cultural gap in the writing, even though there is a very clear British influence on the writing um and you know we've talked about that before kind of the the british aspect of the show and it works because the family is um you know various ways um from uh the uk and involved in the uk and um 
there's this great uh, kind of anecdote from the article that um, that Jesse kind of comes up with these original turns of phrase and everyone's like, oh, that's, um, you know, just a weird British thing. And turns out he just um, is kind of just making it up on the fly. Um, but it, it makes for this really inventive, interesting language that we talk about so much on the show. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really tickled me to read what it's like to work for Jesse. I mean, he's sort of austere in his work, um, and, and very disciplined and he's so funny, but totally understated and, um, you know, it doesn't seem like he's really in it for ego so much as, um, you know, maybe some of his contemporaries and his colleagues speak so highly of him and, um, yeah, he's, he's really faithful to the work and, and, um, you know, it seems like he has a lot of faith in the other writers and everybody who works on the show and knows the characters so well and what drives them. And it seems like that kind of permeates the whole succession ecosystem. I mean, they call him like the mayor of a small town um, in the way that he runs the show. I was going to say the Britishism specifically that is, is mentioned as uh, being a, an invention of Jesse's and not an actual Britishism is the phrase Tom's completely shit his whack. <laughs> It okay. does sound British, but, you know. No, people misstate <laughs> phrases all the time, and we don't get to call it an eccentricity. We look like a douchebag and sound like a jerk. Well, we maybe you should write an it. HBO prestige drama, Kate, and then you'd get away with maybe it. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. I think that you're right. And, and I mean, Jesse is insanely well-read and intelligent and thoughtful in, in everything he does, and... um. This article just sucks you in, and it's a great way to get yourself pumped up for this show again. Um, also shocking you know, to find out that Jesse finds theater tedious, um, which is insane because we've talked so much about the theater background of the cast and the writing team. And just here, Jesse is in this article being like, God, I get nervous watching theater because if I, I, I get anxiety about being bored and I know that I, I can't leave for the second act because it's rude. And it's just like so funny, um, so unexpected. And um, yeah, really just a delight to read about him. I mean, I think it's, it's, it kind of, I think it kind of comes off as, you know, as a sort of a Philistine take when somebody's like, oh, theater's boring or whatever. But I mean, like, anybody who's really honest about it and who has been to, like, any number of plays will have been to some really bad ones. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, it's, I think it's totally, <laughs> it's totally natural to have some anxiety about, oh, God, what might happen? Because that anxiety yeah, is also part of the yeah, excitement of, like, it's what nice it's really good. to know that good, he's still human right? also, yeah. He's not saying he doesn't like theater, He's just saying he gets anxious because some of them are boring, which is true. Right. I, you know. I just, it was unexpected for me, me to hear him me, say that, like. They call me Kate Split Hairs. Right, uh, yeah. Or, no, 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 I, 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 get, I get it. It's just, like, it's it's just funny the way that he uh, kind of was just like, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> theater's boring. Um, <laughs> when, you know, the show has so much clear influence from theater, so. Um, I love how he spoke about you know dealing with the waves of anxiety with any project uh you know he had moments of fuck did we ever say that thing that we intended to say he went on they say sometimes tennis players can see the ball quite big and they feel like everything feels full of opportunity and sometimes it will feel small and nothing is coming together sometimes you feel oh yes i can do this i can go there and that sets this up 
that sense of, I think I know what everyone's thinking. I can see this room is all full of people and they all have their own perspectives and I can see them all. That's, then it feels full of possibility. Yeah, I really like that too, because yeah, Succession is a show, obviously, that keeps a lot of plates spinning and really has the Mm -hmm. sense that you are sort of maybe in this giant uh, sort of play that's going on where everybody is in character all the time and there are all these narratives happening that, you know, the camera might not be witness to at any moment. Um, And uh, speaking of that giant ensemble, uh, we did want to talk about some of the big names that have been added to the cast for Succession Season 3. Just do a quick rundown of some of the things that we've learned about the season. Um, the things that uh, may be coming up. Um, we know that we have, uh, from this piece also, um, they're thinking about maybe four seasons, but probably five seasons at the most for the show. Yeah, um, it's so also maybe... what we predicted, pretty much. <laughs> Once again, proven I'm sure, right in I'm our sure analysis. I'm sure it's on record somewhere. <laughs> I don't know that we predicted anywhere that they were going to shoot the last two episodes of this uh, season in Tuscany. Um, perhaps we can dig that up in an old recording, uh, but that appears to be the case as well. Uh, so another great scenic location for the cast to summer and sun themselves and swan about and uh, get up to all kinds of depravity uh, in terms of narrative. Uh, but actors who have been added to the show. So I, we have the I have these in my notes, like, I think in like sort of rough order of uh, kind of splashiness uh, and prestige. Um, it was announced, I think, about the same time or in quick succession uh, this summer that uh, Alexander Skarsgård and Adrian Brody would both be joining the cast. Um, uh, Adrian Brody, actual Oscar winner. Um, and uh, Alexander Skarsgård, somebody who's been in the HBO uh, family before with Big Little Lies. Um, will be familiar from any number of projects. Um, I recently really loved him in the TV adaptation of The Little Drummer Girl. Um, but I think, uh, I w- but I was kind of nervous when this news broke because it was like, it was another one of these things I was like, oh man, is the show getting too big? Is this like a Jump of the Shark thing um, where they're adding these yeah, huge you, names to the cast? Yeah, your reaction was a little sour at that at first. I was like, I don't I know think, about this. I think you could- I- you can imagine him in the that. in the tech role spot. I think he's gonna fucking nail it. But. Well, yeah, and I think uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that what we're looking at is not something in the way of like an extended arc. We just certainly didn't get any reports of either no. of them being in Tuscany with the cast. I think what we're looking for is something more in the way of you know one off appearances or cameos. They appear to be paying playing like you know tech guys and activists investors yeah the shareholder meeting which i think is probably going to happen early on in the season um because i think it was said to be looming it definitely is yeah a couple weeks in the future at the end of last season the show starts yeah seconds after but i have to say for me like that feels like a billions move not a succession move we don't (laughs) need to have a discussion about that but um like you should, you should, you should just that. be in the room telling Jesse. It's like, mm, Jesse, this is really more of a billions play. Can I tempt you over here? Are they, are they worthwhile? No. Have I made a show? No. I could certainly imagine both of these guys uh, doing some kind of crossover episode at some point. Maybe we'll find out we're in a shared universe. Um, but no, that'd be fucking sick. <laughs> uh, we also uh, have joining uh, the show in various roles: uh, Sanaa Lathan, um, uh, 
the actress Jihei uh, Lin- and Linda Linda Eamond, who was like I think sort of a no brainer for this cast. I was reading that I was like, wow, why wasn't Linda Eamond already on Succession? Um, but yeah. uh, you know, a very just uh, uh, prolific uh, stage and screen actress who just kind of fits like a glove in there. I think she's playing a White House aide. You know, uh, we have you know various PR agents and lawyers in the mix here. Um, not really much of a clue as to what these other roles. Are going to be like beyond those sort of functional descriptions but i'm very excited to see sanaa lathan in a project uh like this um we also have hope davis um who uh i think is my favorite of these new roles her. she is playing sandy furness with an eye yes, sandy uh with an eye uh the daughter of of larry pines sandy furness um oh that's sick I wonder if they're just going to say, like, oh, like, Sandy died or he went back to his home planet or whatever. So we... we he, su- he succumbed to the syphilis, finally. Right. We just... So basically, they've just recast yeah. him with a woman because, yeah, Larry Pine has not <laughs> actually been a huge presence in the show to date uh, so far. So Hope Davis, yeah, again, uh, somebody who's been in, at, around at HBO for a long time, uh, memorable arc on In Treatment, um, and also uh, one of the best uh, slashed most cringe episodes of The Newsroom. Um, somebody who I've always found, I think, just kind of difficult to uh, to warm to Hope Davis, but but I'm I'm interested to see what they do with this character. Didn't Hope Davis also used to do uh, indie films like Day Trippers and stuff like that? You know, I've never seen the Day Trippers. I've, I've heard good things. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm a fan of Greg Matola, yeah, but I've not I, seen that film. I know her from yeah that stuff. I think. Um, yeah, definitely. She's uh, the therapist in uh, Synecdoche, New York. Exciting. Exciting stuff, and it's and another, and I think uh, out of all these roles, the one that's been hinted to be the most substantial uh, belongs to actress and uh, podcasting superstar Dasha Nekrasova, who is joining the show in the role of crisis PR agent uh, Comfrey, which is a such a such a weird funny name uh, for a character. But uh, various things have been hinted at here. A multi-episode arc um, has certainly been implied through her presence in, you know, uh, various uh, uh, profiles that have been written about the shooting, um, as well as the Instagrams of uh, the various cast members. So she certainly seems like she's going to be around for most of the season. Uh, Some sort of uh, romantic plot line with Greg has been hinted at. Um, so yeah, that should be that should be pretty interesting. I think um, Dasha is somebody who you know, if you're as online as all of us are, is sort of a familiar presence. Uh, but I will say that like whatever our opinions are about you know various podcasts and alt comedy scenes, uh, I, I, she's she's somebody who definitely has uh, um, some talent to tap into, and I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with this role. Yeah, they very rarely, or if at all, had any missteps, I think, in casting. So, um, you know, we will keep an open mind, of course, about everyone. And now that we know that they're looking for uh, podcasters to appear on the show, you know, I'm just crossing my fingers. (laughs) Actually, you know, we probably don't want to get into this too much, but it it is just kind of interesting to me, the sort of... uh, Although I don't really know what the relative listenership of Red Scare is uh, relative to something like, I don't know, like Truanon or Chapa Trap House, like these other um, sort of alternative, you know, left wing comedy podcasts that have sprung up in the last uh, few years. Uh, but it, it certainly seems to me like Red Scare is having, a, for whatever reason, a, a stronger kind of cultural footprint than some of these other ones. You know, yeah. the, uh, the characters played by 
uh, the, the you know the teen characters in the White Lotus this summer I think were acknowledged uh, by okay. White and Sydney Sweeney to have been directly inspired by Red Scare. Yes. Um, so they have and, a yeah, huge yeah. huge foothold in youth culture. So yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I'm trying to talk over all you guys. I apologize. Um, when you were talking about teens earlier, I was just going to say, I was going to chime in then with like the red scare is like the hot new thing with the teens. Um, right. But very it's demographically com- different from the teens who watch Succession, I think. Well, if, if Mike White is any indication crossover. of that. I, I totally, yeah, I totally agree. I think there will definitely will be some crossover. But um, yeah, it's interesting. They do kind of come from different corners of the internet. But um, it should be interesting to see her integrated into the show and her fan base. Yeah, yeah. The the characters uh, in the show, The White Lotus, Mike White's The White Lotus, uh, the characters Olivia and Paula are supposed to be Red Scare listeners. Um yeah, so Mike White did have them listen to it, uh, but they're not Dasha and Anna themselves. They're just like, you know, want to be them. Um, but uh, I really love that show. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. It has a lot of layers, a lot of different things going on. Um, and because of that, I did, uh, I have a new pod. Um me and my bud Kit have a new pod coming out very soon. In fact, probably before this episode, um, the first one should be released. Uh, it's called White Cope. Um, so hope you'll check it yeah. out. Um, and very excited thank- about that. Yeah. We, I, I enjoyed the White Lotus a lot too. Um, so looking forward to it. I'm sure there will be comparisons to draw with Succession also. I'm going to be guesting on yep. one of Kate's episodes. She was kind enough to invite me so podcast in a different context um so look out for that we're very excited just don't ask brendan uh too much about his thoughts on the show <laughs> wow yeah i was uh i i i had uh, yeah i guess my feelings were too were too mixed uh but uh yeah i'm very i'm very excited to hear that podcast myself i'm uh, best cool, best thanks. best wishes with your uh with with your with your endeavors kid it's it's not nearly as highfalutin as um, <laughs> Jesse Armstrong said, uh, but we will bring we will be bringing on the highfalutin guests uh, who can talk about Marxism and stuff. So should be good. So as we said at the top of the show, um, we did get some mailbag questions. Um, it's been a while at this point, um, but we did want to real quick, and I'm going to ask Kate and Gabby to give one sentence answers to these questions. I know that's a challenge, but I know we can do it. Um, so I'm going to go to each of you in turn, um, and we're just going to uh, rattle through these. So one of the f- first questions we got was, what do we think happened to Shiv before she met Tom? And this is alluding to, I think uh, Shiv has said that she was in a really bad way when she met Tom. She was going through some kind of personal crisis. Uh, so I think speculatively, what do we think that was or what was that sort of bad way that she was in? Let's go to Gabby. What do you think? Um, I think Shiv was hopelessly in love with somebody before she met Tom in a way that she never had been before and got her heart broken and in turn um, is leaning on a relationship with somebody who is um, pathetically devoted to her to ensure that that doesn't happen again. Fathom, fathoms beneath her, as Logan said. Yes. All right, Kate, do you agree? What's your take? Absolutely. Like, no question. 
She wants to have the upper hand. She didn't with the last person. Very good. <laughs> All right. And on that on that same topic, do we think Shiv and Tom will stay together? So this is sort of a yes or no question. It certainly it seemed like their relationship was in a pretty uh, was certainly at a at a crisis point in the season two finale. Do we think uh, that they will uh, patch things up and move on and you know be together forever or until Shiv goes away for the weekend, as uh, Stewie once put it, <laughs> um, or uh, 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 or will this uh, all end in tears? Uh, Gabby, your take. Um, Shiv and Tom will definitely stay together. Please see season one, episode six of this podcast for a discussion about. Um, the anxious avoidant trap um, in which Shiv and Tom represent. Uh, I think Shiv would sooner get pregnant to give Tom something to do and keep him close than uh, let him go. And I think Tom is too much of a coward to leave her. And um, they will no doubt continue the same cycle and they won't be happy, but they will stay together. Very good. Kate, your take? Uh, Mike White likes to say about social media, when you're in a casino, you... It's like being in a casino, and the only way to win is to leave because the house always loses. I don't know what the point of that is. The point of that was trying to link to my actual take is pretty much what Gabby's is, but I hope that they actually do split. I think, you know, we have been teased the opportunity for these people to change, and they generally don't, just like with The Sopranos. But in this particular instance, because I hate Shiv as the um, misogynist on the show, um, I, I hope that Tom can get out. As a uh, and and Shiv, I hope you know Shiv finds what she wants too. Actually, uh, our next question: uh, What are Naomi's motives? Uh, we're talking about Naomi Pierce here, played by Annabelle Dexter Jones. Will she betray Ken? Is she a Lady Macbeth? I'm not really sure what the Lady Macbeth reference in this question refers to. I'm exposing my own lack of Shakespeare knowledge here, but uh, I think the the question is quite a salient one. Uh, do we think that Naomi is sticking around out of a genuine love connection, or is she just kind of uh, there uh, uh, for the popcorn? Uh, Kate, what do you think of this one? I don't think we have a clear answer either way. If anything, it points to the fact that she does care, but I don't think she's that invested. I mean, she definitely has a good heart and good intentions is trying to tell him, you know, he doesn't love you. And he's like, oh, he loves me the way he can't, you know, she has good intentions, but I don't, I don't think there's really anything there, but there's nothing nefarious there happening either. I don't think she's trying to betray Ken. It's just not going to work out like so many relationships. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think she does care about Ken to an extent, and I don't think she's trying to hurt him, um, but she might end up unwittingly hurting him. Um, You know, she doesn't seem to be necessarily, like, the most, you know, committed kind of person. Uh, So, you know, it's possible he'll get his heart broken, but no, I don't think her her motives are nefarious. Kendall will always get his heart broken, though, is also (laughs) the answer. Like, no matter what happens. So... Um, and I know that pathology because that's me. You will turn whatever happened into garbage. All right. So our, our next question, uh, why did Roman propose to Jerry? What did it mean? I'm trying to remember which episode this was in. I think this was in Dundee, um, I believe. Yes, yeah, where he, Dundee. Where he yes. makes the proposition slash uh, proposal. 
and uh, yeah, this is yeah, this is sort of an interesting one in the uh, as always fascinating Roman Jerry relationship. Uh, Gabby, uh, what's your take? What are Roman's motives here? Are they are they mysterious even to him, perhaps? I mean, Roman is lost psychosexually, <laughs> just completely lost. He's trying to throw things at the wall and see what will stick. Um, he's got mommy issues. He's got sexual issues. I, I don't think he even knows what they are. And, um, you know, proposing to Jerry is kind of just, uh, you know, a, a silly thing that maybe will, will, you know, fill some you know, void for him, um, you know, even if it's in the most superficial and ludicrous way, because he knows she's not actually going to do it. <laughs> I think he's more uh, serious about it than he would admit to himself or no but you're right he's a mystery he doesn't know but it is more serious and more real than he could ever begin to allow himself to think about <laughs> all right uh here's one of my favorite questions because it's one that i think about often which is why does kendall wear so much brown uh i i we can we can generally speculate about what the costuming choices say about the characters. I know we want to limit to very uh, quick one line answers here. So let's so let's stick to the subject of Kendall in particular. What's behind the uh, the choice of brown? Is this something we see elsewhere on the show? Uh, does it say something specific about him, or is this the influence of uh, Jeremy Strong working its way into production? Kate, we go to you first. I literally don't really know or care. I think it's more Jeremy being a fucking nerd i love you jeremy but you're a nerd quit bringing Brendan, up flaubert i'm, I'm, pun- I'm punting it to you it, it definitely yeah, it, it, i th- i think just uh from the photos i've seen of uh you know jeremy strong out on the town and from a few interview tidbits oh, where i have gleaned that he does have uh he does exercise some influence over his uh his character's wardrobe i would guess that this is his own sort of sartorial preferences manifesting in the costuming uh either through a, a direct suggestion uh himself or through the costumers sort of picking up on it um it's uh Mm -hmm. it's interesting i I gotta say it just sort of makes him you know it just reminds me of the uh the big old mud pie he left in turnhaven most of the time (laughs) it just makes him look like a big douche who's trying to keep up with like fashion and all arts and all this stuff and he is black black is too unoriginal for him right it's all just it's 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 all just cringe you can cut it's this. All, I love you. <laughs> but we can criticize our characters too. So of course. That is yeah. that is quite literally why we're here. Um, uh, that right. our next question we're going to go to. Uh, this is this is going to be a tricky one to answer in one line, but I challenge. Uh, but I'm, I'm challenging us to, to, to stick to the like to the this. brief here. Uh, what would a happy ending look like for the characters, particularly for Kendall, who seems to sincerely love his family, but also expresses a desire to escape. Uh, this is a really interesting question, especially for me, because uh, I think that uh, a happy ending is maybe uh, sort of antithetical to what I like about the show. I, I What I fell right. in love with first about the show was the sort of grand totalizing uh, tragedy of season one, and uh, it ended so beautifully uh, in that sense. Um, but this is interesting to consider is what happiness looks like for these characters. Is it something that's realistic uh, uh, for them, and what would, it, what would it be if it were uh, to come about on the show? Uh, Gabby. Gosh, I mean, I, I don't think it will come about. I have no faith in it, um, really, for any of them. But um, it would look like getting out. I mean, there's no way to uh, 
to circumvent within the family uh, everything about the family that makes each of them so sick and um, unhappy most of the time. But yeah, it would have to just kind of be a full escape, take, um, you know, sell your shares and just get out as briefly as I can put it. Walk into the sea. Get a, a, a lot of therapy. Um, <laughs> not even sure if, you know, how much self-actualization or integration these characters could achieve at this point. But, you know, of course, lots of therapy. Yeah. Griffin, Griffin Dunn is not going to cut it. Real therapy. <laughs> I'm going to go for the surprise here and say they're not going to have a happy ending. We shouldn't expect that. But if we're not hopeful about this show, then why the fuck are we watching? Um, I think that it is possible that... Kendall and the other characters can find some balance or boundary with their family. They may not individuate totally, but they may be able to find a balance that works and they're not in utter misery. Now, based on the dynamics of Logan, etc., that's unlikely. Um, and of them not wanting to do work and wanting to be in the court, etc. But if we're not watching the show with hope, then I, I don't get it. Interesting perspective. Yeah, that's uh, that's 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 something that didn't quite occur to me. Uh, you know, the idea of you know having hope for these characters, but I, I think I would counter that um, with uh, just that perspective that Jesse had that uh, these uh, these characters are kind of constrained by the choices that are available to them, and I, I just don't see the choices as being really good ones uh, for the. Yeah, I think but I'm, you want I'm, to see I'm, them play the out because you. I, yes, of course, yeah. Kate, but I think I'm stuck on the word happy because what what does happy even fucking mean? You know, I think there might be some catharsis, some release some contentedness, but happy. I mean, like, there's no happy in these people's worlds. Well, there's no happy for other people in my world either. And I'm going to, and, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to cut it. And I know Kate in two days will disagree with this take, but <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I, I watch it for the, like, for me, I like seeing Kendall make growth. <laughs> and then he'll take two steps back and that's okay because guess what we all do that yeah i think uh we're all trapped in our own material and past psycho uh, analytical all this stuff right it's it, we're all we're all limited by that but i mean this kind of gets into a religious type question you know like if Ooh. you can't um, so that's where I'm stopping. <laughs> yeah, perhaps beyond the brief for this specific exercise, but I, 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 I hope we can return to that uh, at some point. I think, uh, I think the note I'll conclude on for that question, uh, which I think sparked some very uh, strong feelings here that I hope we continue to chew on, is uh, uh, one version of a happy ending I'm thinking of is the ending, uh, the accidental ending of the recent uh, NBC TV series Hannibal, uh, which ends with its uh, heroes locked in battle, tumbling over a press and I think we're probably I think that's probably a version of happiness for these characters is just uh, you know locked in combat but together you know ultimately okay I know that was the perfect literary end but I fucking hated it <laughs> I love that show that ending <laughs> killed me I don't give a shit if it's like the way that oh you know so and so would have written it and it's genius it didn't matter. It didn't work for me. Well, I think it was um, an accident. They wanted to do another season. They weren't intending to leave it there, but I, well, I like it. True. But that I like it, true. you know, for that, for that, for what it is. 
Okay, season three predictions real quickly, Brendan? Um, yeah, I don't have uh, really hard set uh, predictions here, um, except that I think that uh, I, what I started to get into and what I've been uh, chewing on a bit in recent weeks is this sort of, you know, Marxist historical materialist understanding of history and how Jesse Armstrong thinks about history and what what I and this is very vague but I think what season three is uh, gearing up to consider is just that question of uh, you know how uh, historical change happens and what the experience of that is like for the people who end up making some of these uh, big decisions um, that have historical and global consequences so that's very vague but we'll return to that at some point in the season I'm sure. Um, no real predictions. Maybe, um, you know, we'll see more of a health demise with Logan, possible death, throwing that out there. Um, but no real predictions. No, I think it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be, this may be too obvious, but, um, Roman season. <laughs> uh, Roman's revenge. It's, um... And I do believe that, um, they absolutely... Uh, we'll do a fourth season, I believe. Um, oh, for sure, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised fourth. if and we get that renewal by next month. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then one other thing was that I loved how the series of the season three is starting out with Logan splitting his team into two sides. Oh, it's great. I mean... What else would you possibly, you know, expect? It's just... Again, I should have expected it. I didn't. It's it's just genius. So... Um, Inevitable in retrospect. Yes. Just like Kendall's relapse. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he'll have another. Maybe we'll, we'll get to see a little bit more into uh, what's going on with Kendall's sobriety because they sort of just um, didn't really answer much there um, towards the Maybe. end of season two. Maybe patricide. <laughs> well, on that very morbid uh, note and on that uh, subject of inevitability, I think it's time for us to wind this pre-kent edition of the Roycast uh, to a close. Um, it has been lovely getting back uh, with, with the Fly Guys to chat and we're looking forward to a great season we hope uh all of you who have stuck around and maybe discovered the roycast in the last couple years those of you who have been you know impatiently tapping your foot for us to come back um we hope that it's been worth the wait uh and if not we hope it's at least uh worth your time thanks so much for tuning in (laughs) yeah thanks everyone we'll see you uh in a month or so october all right. Until then, folks. Thank October you. surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. That's it. I, that's all I got. All right, folks. Uh, that's it for the Roycast. Uh, we'll talk to you all in a bit. Take care. Bye-bye. Just a minute for you and me. Just a minute before you touch the door What is it that you're trying to achieve, girl? Do you think we can talk about it some more? You know the streets are filled with vipers